0: The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. We are in the midst of a a new series, well I guess not that new, we're about four weeks in, uh, called How to Pick a Fight. And in this series what we're doing is we're looking at the stories of men and women in Scripture who picked a fight. Uh, that they, they picked the right fight at the right time and stood up for something when they needed to. And so uh, for the first three weeks, we, we've looked at some men in Scripture, Jonathan and Noah. Last week, we looked at Moses. Uh, but this week, we're, we're shifting, and we're going to look at, at a, a very strong woman in Scripture, Esther, and the fight that she picks and the fight that she's placed in. And so we're going to dig into the story of Esther. And as we get into it, I just uh, need to let you know, Esther is a, a controversial book in the Bible. It's, it's very controversial because, I don't know if you know this, uh, God is not mentioned in that book anywhere. Like, nowhere in the book of Esther is, is the name of, of God invoked, talked about at all. It's not, so it's like, why is there a book in the Bible, you know, the book of God, in which God isn't mentioned? All right, like, how does that work? Well, we'll see how it works. What we're going to see in the story of Esther is, is that we actually learn some truths about God and, and how he would call us to live, and, and there's three things we'll see, all right? God is sovereign, people are responsible, we need a mediator. God is sovereign, people are responsible, we need a mediator. That's what we're going to see in this story. Hey, thank you. All right. So, God is sovereign, let's get going. Uh, in, In the story of Esther, we see that God works providentially. And what that means is that everything that happens in the story, everything that happens in our lives happens within his will, happens within his way of doing things. God is in control of all things. And we see this happen in the story of Esther. And so let me just summarize it for you so we're all on on the same playing field here. Uh, The story of Esther begins with God's people in the Old Testament, uh, which are the the people of Israel, the Israelites or or the Jews. And and they're in exile at this time. And they're originally uh, taken captive by the Babylonian Empire. Uh, But if you remember your your Western Civ class, uh, by about 500 BC, uh, the Persian Empire sort of merges with the Babylonian Empire. And so now there's thousands of of Israelites that are uh, captive in the Persian Empire. And so that's what's going on. And the king of Persia at that time is King Xerxes. And uh, if you read in Esther, it calls him a different name, but that's just sort of the, the Hebrew way of saying his name, so don't get worried, it's the same dude. Uh, so it's Xerxes, and uh, in the book of Esther, it starts off with a, with a party, and King Xerxes, his army's been just killing it lately, literally, and, and so they, uh, they have a party, and it's, it says it's 180 days, 180 day party, so it's, a, it's basically a four month long frat party, and, and it reaches this point where uh, they're all drunk, the king's drunk, and he's like, you know what? Uh, Xerxes says, you know, my, my wife's really hot, and, and I, it's going to be a little PG-13, okay? And, and he says, um, you know, I, go get my wife. Tell her to come out here and dance and strip for all my friends. Go get the queen. Tell her to come out and strip for all my friends. And so the servants go, and they tell the queen and say, hey, the king wants you to do this. And she says, no, I'm not going to do that. And, and so she doesn't do it. Well, the king gets really ticked off. It's really mad. He calls together his advisors, and he says, hey, what should I do? This, she, she's not doing what I told her to do true story, this is what happens. His advisors say, well, you know, if if word gets out that the queen isn't listening to her husband, the king, then women throughout the kingdom will start to get ideas. And they'll start to think that they can not listen to their husbands. And who knows where that would lead us? That's seriously the advice they give, right? (laughs) Crazy, crazy. And so they say, so teach her a lesson. And they say, have her removed as queen.'" And then have a competition to have a new queen. Persia's next top queen. Persian idol, if you will, right? Have the winner be your new queen. And so, so Xerxes is like, awesome. They strike up a contract with ABC. Thursday nights, it's going to be on. And, uh, and so they, they go around the kingdom and they, they pick up a bunch of girls to be part of the king's harem. And one of the girls they pick is this, this girl named Esther. And she's this young Jewish girl who's lost both of her parents and been raised her whole life by her loving and kind uncle Mordecai. And she gets picked to be part of the king's harem. And so she goes and lives in the palace. And she takes part in essentially this competition to become the next queen of Persia. And I'm going to spare you the details on how the competition works, because like I said, I keep them PG-13, all right? But you can guess how it works, all right? Uh, and, And Esther ends up winning. And so now she's the queen of Persia. Okay, so we got the story so far. Enter the antagonist. All right, we got Haman. And Haman is this guy who's the second in command in the entire Persian Empire. Big deal. And so whenever he goes around, he tells people to bow down to him. And everyone bows down to him. Except for Mordecai, Esther's uncle. Mordecai refuses to bow down to him because that's putting a man in the place of God. And, and he's a Jewish man, first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. It's not going to break that. So he doesn't bow down to Haman. This, of course, ticks Haman off to no end. And he says, you know what? Not only am I going to get Mordecai killed, but I'm going to kill his entire people because they probably wouldn't want to bow down to me either. I'm going to kill all the Jews in the empire. And so Haman whispers in the king's ear, and he says, hey, uh, you should make a law that will go into effect 11 months from now. And when that law goes into effect, it will encourage people, this is really how it works, it will encourage people to kill their Jewish neighbors and then get paid for it. And so Haman gets the king to legalize a genocide. And this is what's going on. And so Mordecai hears about this. That's what we get to in our text. He hears about this. He freaks out, sends a message to Esther and says, hey, you've got to go talk to the king. You've got to get him to reverse this ruling. And we see in our text, Esther says to him, hey, I'd love to, but, but the way it works is I can't just go into the king's court. If I go in there without being called in, they'll kill me. And he hasn't spoken to me in 30 days. The king, her husband hasn't spoken to her in 30 days and I can't just go in there. So I'm not banking that this is going to happen. And so Mordecai responds to her and this is where I want us to focus in today. Uh, Verses 13, this is Mordecai's response to Esther. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so it's here in Mordecai's response that we see that that God's provision and his sovereignty are on display. Right, what does he say? End of 14. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In other words, hey, Who knows? Who knows? Maybe you're here where you are in this position right now because some unseen force is actually at work in the world that has placed you there. Who could it be? We, of course, know it to be the one true sovereign God. That the one God providentially made it so that the most powerful empire in the history of the world up to that point needed a queen. And that that queen happens to be an orphan girl from an obscure little people group. And that her uncle who raised her would happen to find out about a rule that was going to exterminate an entire people group. And that she is uniquely placed. She's the one person in the empire that could actually step up and stop this from happening. What a coincidence, right? What a coincidence. Like, what are the odds, right? Right? No, man, we're meant to see that God is at work behind the scenes. That God's at work guiding the whole process. He's constantly at work there. And see, I think so often when we, when we think about our faith and we read stories in the Bible, we see these big miracles and we see God do incredible things. And we say, I've got to see him there. I've got to see him through these big, giant events. The reality is, he's in the ordinary. He's in the everyday. And so that's why I love the story of Esther. Because this is how God normally works. This is how God normally works in our lives, is it not? God's not just in the burning bushes. He's not just in giant floods. But he's in the ordinary, everyday monotony of life. And sometimes we miss that. And we fail to appreciate that. Here's what I mean. Uh, this last week our, our staff was at a conference uh, down in Katy, Texas just north of, of Houston and, and we, we got to be with uh, friends of ours, hundreds of friends of ours that are, that are in mission around the country and actually around the world and connect with them and it was, it was an awesome time and, and we grew together as a staff. Uh, but I think if, if you were to ask what the highlight was, in particular if you were to ask uh, Brenda Masselink, our, our volunteer coordinator, what the highlight was for her, it actually came on the car ride home. Uh, See so was uh, Adam? piano, Matt, Tanner, and I are, are riding in the car with Brenda driving, and it was quiet, and we're driving back home, and then all of a sudden, R. Kelly's Remix Ignition came on, and, uh, and uh, we just sang every single word, right? And so Brenda got to be serenaded by some beautiful voices uh, to one of the greatest hits of the 90s, and, uh, and it, it was wonderful, all right? Uh, please pray for her and for Sandy, okay, they're... Very patient women for putting up with us. Uh, anyways, so there's no reason to tell you that story except that I thought it was funny. But we, we, made, it, we made it back from, uh, from the conference, and I hadn't seen, seen my boy Titus for uh, several days, so I wanted to play with him. And so he and I are hanging out on the front porch of the Carey's house uh, where we live. And um, <laughs> it's another thing. And um, anyways, and they have mums in their front porch, three pots of, of mums, the flowers. And Titus showed me this new game that he's really into. It's called Count Flowers. Okay, so count flowers, uh, and it's exactly what it sounds like. We, we count the flowers in the pot, uh, and that's fine. But the thing is, Titus only knows two numbers, right? He knows one, and for whatever reason, he knows 14. I don't like that. Like, like his word, it was like, like, it's an Elmo, I don't know what it is. And so, so I have to cover all the other numbers, right? So he does one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14! And then, you know, I keep going. And, uh, and so we did it. We counted every flower in these three pots, and I was like, all right, well, that was fun, and I went to sit down. And Titus stayed there and just stared at me and goes, Daddy, count flowers. Okay, so I get back, counted them again. I go to sit down again, and he stares at me. Daddy, count flowers. So we do it again and again and again. We counted these flowers, right? He never got tired of it. He never wanted to stop. And if you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? If you've ever worked with kids, you know what I'm talking about. Like how many parents have Goodnight Moon memorized, right? Right? Very good, very good. Or brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? Red bird, yellow duck, blue horse, green frog. I, I can go all day, all right? We got it memorized. See, kids love repetition. Kids love monotony. And the uh, 20th century philosopher G.K. Chesterton says that when our kids are like that, he actually says they're, they're pointing us to God. That That's actually how God is like. Listen to this quote. Chesterton writes, A child kicks his legs rhythmically through excess, not absence of life. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit, fierce and free. Therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, "Do it again." And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says, "Every morning, "Do it again to the son." and every evening do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. I love that quote, right? God's in the monotony. He's in the ordinary. He's in the everyday. And this is the story of Esther. This is what we see. Sure, the stakes are much higher for her than the ones that most of us will face. But the reality is, God is at work every single day in a million different ways. Every single day. Nothing happens outside of his control. Nothing happens outside of his will. It's not an accident that Esther is in the position she's in. And it's not an accident that you're in the position you're in. That you're where you're at. Whether that's good, bad, or ugly, God has you where you are. He's in control of all things. And see, I realize I say that, and that may present a problem to some of you, right? Like, you think about this, you are like, hold on. Like, you're saying we're robots? right like is everything just fixed and nothing I do matters and my fate is my fate and that's the end of it like you know remember 10th grade English anyone read the story Oedipus the Greek tragedy no one well I was in honors English so okay um (laughs) uh, thank you Ben um and so uh Oedipus he hears from the the oracle at Delphi and, and the oracle says Oedipus you're going to kill your father and marry your mother course an oracle like that he freaks out and does everything he can in his life to not let that happen but it doesn't matter fate is predetermined he ends up doing exactly that is that our story right are we we tied to fate and we have no real choice in this world what we see in the story of Esther and testified throughout scripture is the answer is no that yes God is sovereign God is in control of all things nothing happens outside of his will and yet at the same time Humanity is responsible for the choices we make. And it's these two truths that seem to conflict with one another. God is completely in control. We're responsible for the choices we make. There's there's really no way of resolving them. There just isn't. If you can figure it out, let me know. This is what we call an antinomy, right? It's a paradox, it's an unresolvable tension. It's kind of like light, right? If I were to ask a, a scientist, hey, is light particles or is it waves? Yes. Yes. Right? Depends how you look at it. This is what we see in Scripture. God is sovereign. Humanity is responsible. And this is what we see in the story of Esther, that God has brought her to this place. His hand has been at work the entire time, and now this choice is before her. And we see that she she does what she's called to do. Look with me at, at verses 15 and 16. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So we see what Esther does here, man. She recognizes where she's at. She says, hey, God's brought me here. I'm in this place, and now I have a choice to make. There's things that need to happen, and i got to choose to do them. And we see she makes the hard choice, and she says, you know what? I'm going to go for it. I'm going to stick my neck out there. I'm going to talk to the king, and if I perish, I perish. If I die saving my people, I die saving my people. See, it's in her everyday life that that God is using her. And that's the same for us. It's in your everyday life that God is using you, that that God's mission for you, God's call for you, is in your everyday life. Here's what I mean. My uh, grandpa, when he was six, uh, went to church one Sunday in a small church in northern Wisconsin, uh, Barron, Wisconsin. That's actually what it's called. Um, and, And he was there, six years old, sitting in the pew, and there was a baby that was baptized that day, a little girl. And, and he looked up at the little girl, and, um, and he leaned over to his mom, and he said, hey, who's that, that baby being baptized? And his mom said, oh, that's Lorraine, the new Grosskreitz baby. And my grandpa said, I'm going to marry her one day. And he did. True story. True story. So, so my grandparents got married. Uh, they lived in northern Wisconsin, ran a small dairy farm, had four children. They never went on a mission trip to a foreign land. They never had a small group in their house. They never preached a sermon, and yet God used them in his mission in their everyday lives, in particular my grandma. See, I ended up marrying a girl from northern Wisconsin, they're the finest, and um, you're supposed to whoop, Caitlin. We have someone else from northern Wisconsin here. Anyways, um, and, uh, and, uh, and when Melissa and I started dating, she was working full-time at a camp that was a couple hours away from where my grandparents were, and so I went up to this camp and uh, the director there said, Hey, what was your last name again? And I said, Casper. He said, Do you by chance know Lorraine Casper? And I said, Yeah, she's my grandma. And he said, Oh my gosh, she is such a wonderful lady. She used to babysit me. She's so sweet. And then a week later, I'm, I'm hanging out at this camp, and, a, and I meet a guy who uh, is an administrator for public schools in Iowa, and he says, What was your last name again? I said, Casper. He said, Are you related to Lorraine Casper? Yeah, she's my grandma. He said, Oh man, she went to my church. Oh, she was awesome. She was such a blessing to my whole family. She's such a caring woman. Now, I kid you not, I've met like since then, probably three, four more people randomly in the northwoods of Wisconsin that my grandma had an impact on. It's just crazy. And you say, Okay, Gabe, I get it. All right, I get what you're trying to do here. Right? Your grandma's a nice lady, she lived a normal life, had an impact on people, and the same is true for me too. Yes. Okay, let's start there, yes. But what I want you to understand is that, like Esther, my grandma actually had a choice. That she could live into where God had placed her in one way or another. See, the thing is, my my grandpa, though he was a good man, was an alcoholic. And he was never physically abusive, but if you grew up in a home like that, you know he was not easy to live with. And so my grandma had a choice. She could have so easily become bitter and cynical and closed off. But she didn't. She chose to embrace those around her and to raise her kids well and to engage with her church family and to serve wherever she could. And so, to this day, even though she can't lift her arms above her head anymore and suffers from constant vertigo, if you were to go to her house, she would cook you the biggest meal you've ever eaten in your life and give you the best cup of coffee in the world. I think it's because she doesn't clean her coffee maker, but it is incredible, right? And uh, she, in fact, she recently apologized to my dad. Uh, she said, you know, Robbie, I'm sorry. I, uh, I don't pray for you as much as I do for the other kids uh, because I, she, she, she says, I pray at night when I'm laying in bed and I pray from my oldest child to my youngest child. And my dad's the youngest. And she says, so I always fall asleep before I can pray for you. <laughs> And, uh, and, and my dad says, well, could you just reverse the order? Like, it, that doesn't seem too hard for him, you know, but what can you do? It's my grandma. Listen, there's a lie out there that says that, that ministry is for the select few. There's a lie out there that says ministry is for the guys up front who went to seminary. And so your job is to just be a good consumer of religious goods and services to show up And tell me to do good things. Man, what a tragedy that would be if that's how our church operated. What a tragedy that would be if any ministry that happened through our church had to go through me. That would be a mess. See, our best moments as a church don't come when I have a good sermon. They don't come when the band is super tight. Our best moments happen when families bring meals over to other families when they're in need. Amen. Our best moments happen when people share Jesus with their neighbors. Our best moments are like this last weekend where we had two men who are part of our church pray over the granddaughter of another lady who's part of our church. Our best moments happen when you pray with your kids. Our best moments happen when you're patient with your roommates. Our best moments happen when God's people respond to his call in their lives where they are. Our best moments happen when you choose to respond to God's call where he's placed you. Ministry is out there. Ministry is in the everyday. God has you where he has you, in his providence and in his sovereignty. He's placed you where you are and equipped you how he has. As Mordecai put it, who knows? Who knows? Maybe God has you there. Maybe he's called you into the kingdom for such a time as this. So I just want you to ask yourself, where has God placed you for such a time as this. Another way to say that is, where has God called you to stand in the gap? All right, because this is what Esther does. She stands in the, in the gap. She acts what we call as a mediator. She's a mediator between the king and her people. This law is going to go out that's going to kill an entire group of people. And she says, no, I'm going to get in the way of that. I'll sacrifice myself for the betterment of others. I'll give of my life so that other people can live. Does that sound like anyone else in the Bible? Jesus. Jesus, right? Uh, There's a saying I I stole from another preacher uh, that I use a lot. And uh, and it says this, the New Testament is in the Old Testament contained. The Old Testament is in the New Testament explained. All right, New Testament is in the Old Testament contained. The New Testament is in the Old Testament explained. In other words, what we see in the Old Testament actually points us towards its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus in the New Testament. And so when we look at the story of Esther, our temptation is to say, wow, what a great woman. She was She was willing to sacrifice herself for the sake of her people. That's awesome. I want to be that kind of person, so I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to try really hard to do that. I'm going to do the same thing. That doesn't work. That's a bad way to read the Bible. No, what we need to do is look at her and say, oh man. Esther was a mediator for her people. Esther was was willing to sacrifice herself to save other people. Man, that's just like Jesus. That's Jesus sacrificed himself to save me. He stuck his neck out to save me. Jesus is the one ordained by God to be the perfect sacrifice for me on the cross. And just like Esther willingly went before the king for her people, Jesus willingly went to the cross for me. He's my mediator. Jesus is your mediator. First Timothy puts it like this. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Now, please understand, it's, it's only to the degree that, that you're able to grasp this, that you're able to properly respond to God's call in your life. It's, it's only when you see, hey, the, the only reason I have access to the Father, the only reason I know God and that he's called me and placed me where I am is because Jesus has made that possible. It's because Jesus is my mediator. He's my connection to the Almighty God. He's the only one I have access to God through. And see, when you grasp that, when that gets a hold of you and that's deeply entrenched in your heart, it only makes sense that you would then live into where God's called you. Can I tell you right now, just to get practical at the end here, uh, we have a unique opportunity to stand in the gap as a church. Um, Good friends of ours, Steve and Grace Huey, who are part of this church, they run an organization called CALMS, which does a lot of work in Central America. And in particular, through them, we've adopted a village called San Miguel up in the mountains. And uh, in that area, there's, there's two villages, El Pariso and Huite, and they've gone through a big drought lately, like so much so their crops have completely failed. And they were just there a couple weeks ago, Stephen Grace, and they're there right now. And, and when they were there, uh, the people said, please, like, we need help. Like, they literally don't have corn for their tortillas. Like, it's their, their main source of sustenance, and they don't have the food to do it. And, and we're big fans of development, of, of teaching people to fish and, and, and solving the, the root causes of poverty. But this is actually a call for what we call relief. This is just, like, people need food. Like, they, they need food. They, they, they can't feed their kids. And right now, Steve and Grace are there and they're putting together food. They've fronted the money. Their organization has fronted the money to say, hey, we're going to adopt, uh, first of all, El Pariso and, and then if there's enough money left over, we'll adopt Huite as well. And they've fronted the food for these families. Now, here's the deal. Uh, in, in El Pariso, there's 115 families. Okay, so it's a very small village, 115 families. Uh, we worship, <laughs> you guys, I can never tell, okay? But, but it's, uh, it's about... 120 to 150 um, on, a, on a weekend. 115 families, $30 feeds a family of six, okay? And so, to me, it only makes, like, the, the people that are working directly with these people in this small, obscure village in Guatemala, like, they go to our church, right? Like, so, so for such a time as this, $30, we could help out an entire village of people who don't have food right now. Say, all right, I'm in Gabe. Rally cry heard. Good. Um, Two ways to do it. One, we have our love offering box in the back. If you're able to to do it right now, uh, please feel free to drop that off. Or Sandy will be standing at the connect station and she'll take information from you, however you need to do that. Um, Or next week, if you can just remember to bring $30 and and we can support uh, this village. We could knock that out as a church. No problem. God's placed us here, God is sovereign, and he's called us to act where he's placed us. And we do that because we have one who stood in the gap for us. We have one who stands in the gap for us. And that's our Savior, Jesus. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are in control of all things. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. You are the God who has brought us to where we are and you've called us to stand in the gap. To live out ministry in our everyday lives. To love our kids. To love our neighbors. To care for the people in our work and at our school. God, help us to do that well. But help us only do that in response to what you've first done for us. Help us only do that in response to our mediator, Jesus, through whom we have access to you. And we'll pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.